0: Let's open to Ephesians chapter 3 and begin with verse 14, Ephesians 3, 14. I hope that you're not the least bit offended when somebody tells you that they're praying for you. Sometimes we can have that attitude that says, why are you praying for me? What's wrong? Do you think I need prayer? But the right answer to that is that we all need prayer. And we should be eager to have others praying for us. We should covet one another's prayers. And this is a passage. It's a portion of scripture that teaches us about how we should pray for each other. Because it's the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It's his prayer for for you also. He's a prisoner. And last Sunday, we learned about the prisoner's plea. But now this is the prisoner's prayer. He's praying For others, even though he's the one who's shackled, even though he's the one who's in chains, he lists for them in this part of the Bible, the different ways that he's praying for them. And to consider the situation and say, someone who is in prayer or in prison, I should say, for the cause of the gospel is praying for me. It seems rather backward to us. We would say, oh, oh, Paul, we're praying for you. And they should have been. But consider this prisoner, this apostle who is now telling us how we ought to, pray for one another. Ephesians 3, 14, for this reason reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Kneeling, that's a posture of prayer, isn't it? He's telling them, this is the reason why I'm praying. I'm down on my knees in chains and these are the things that I'm lifting up to the Lord on your behalf. He's not praying because he's comfy, He's there in prison on his knees. Sometimes if you sit there and pray, you get sleepy. Sometimes if you walk around and pray, which I prefer rather than sitting, you get distracted. But it's quite often in the word that we see people kneeling in prayer. It's, this, it's not the only position we can pray in, but it's, it, there's something about it that says, Lord, here I am. I'm bowing before you. And I'm resting in you. And these are my petitions. And these are my thanksgivings that I'm bringing to you. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Look at that verse. That part of 15. That the family of God spans both heaven and earth. This is a truth that my heart is just hanging on to. Because we are the family of God. But some of our family has gone before us. And and they're waiting for us. And the longer we're alive, the more brothers and sisters we know and love dearly. And they're already where? In heaven. And we're the family of God here on earth. We all bear his name, we're all his saints by his grace. But that family of God spans heaven and earth. What do families do for each other? They pray for one another. I know the way you are you pray for your kids, probably more than you pray for me. You pray for your grandkids. They're on your heart. They're in your mind. You're considering what they're going through. So as we get into this passage on prayer, think about it in the context of family because the Bible says that's who we are. We're the family of God that spans eternity. Many who have gone before us and are now in the very presence of God and those of us who are here with that solid hope that we will again see them. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So here we have the first point that I'll pull out, and they're all about prayer. Pray for your inner strength. I should be praying for strength inside of you, and you should be praying for each other. You should be praying for me that the inner man, that the inner woman would be strengthened, your soul, your spirit. This is not just praying for your inner resolve or your willpower. This is what it says later in this very book, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put me on your prayer request list for this. You should be on mine in the same manner. I am praying, you are praying, that the inner self, that the internal part of us would be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul uses the same word for inner, eso, in Second Corinthians 4, 16, listen, where it says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward is being renewed day by day. And then this is the part where he goes on to explain that he has light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. Now he did not have light affliction compared to most people because he was beaten. He was crushed with stones and he was imprisoned. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked, but he says, all of this is is light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. That's heaven. That's what's waiting for me. That's who's waiting for me. But notice what he says in that passage from second Corinthians chapter four, that even though the outward person is hurting, you think Paul was hurting physically? Oh, definitely. He says the inner person is being renewed day by day, internally, even though outwardly I'm falling apart. The older we get, this is true, right? uh, Not everybody needs to be old to be sick or to be compromised physically. What's the Lord doing? He's preparing us for the trial, for the struggle, for the hardship. And he is saying that you and I need strengthening in the inner self, internal strengthening, so that in the day of trouble, we'll know what to do. Then in the day of trouble, we will seek the Lord. Our hand will reach out to our God. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. That means it's not if you have hardship or trial or trouble. It's when you have hardship, trial or trouble. Will your inner self, will your internal self, weather that storm because of what God has done in you. Sometimes our tribulation, our trouble, it blindsides us. We don't see it coming. And there's the, sometimes we clearly see, here it comes. Sometimes it's persecution. In Paul's case, it was definitely that. Sometimes it's struggle and hardship, because we live in, in a fallen world, and we're experiencing the effects of, of sin all around us. Yes, our prayer for one another should be for this inner strengthening so that we'll know how to cling to God when the trial comes. Pray for me and I'll pray for you that we'll have that inner strength that comes from God. To know that Paul was imprisoned while he prayed this makes it clear to me that there isn't room for a pity party. There isn't room for what we call drama today where everything's a big deal And everything's just terribly hard. My kids don't like the word traumatic unless it truly is traumatic. But do you see how Paul is praying this for others? And he is in the middle of hardship. And he's saying, I am praying for your internal strength. Look at the verse. How does this internal strength happen? Who accomplishes this inner strength in the inner man or the inner woman? 16 gives us the answer. It is the Holy Spirit. We cannot have strength in the inner self that will last without the Holy Spirit, without the might of the Spirit of God in us, working through us. Remember, God just doesn't tell us what to do in his word. He tells us how it's done. Have you been in this kind of conversation before? where you're talking about somebody that you love and it's pointed out to you that they're a person that has a lot of tenacity, a lot of willpower. They have a so-called strong will. They're very fervent. They're the kind of person who's all in. And then somebody says, if they would ever be given over to God, God would use all that strong will for his glory. He would use all that stubbornness for, for his persistent and good ways. Actually, I see just the opposite in the Bible. I see that if a person is saved and they still think it's about their will, they will not be strong. They might have a very willful personality, but can they carry that personal willfulness into their Christianity and say, this is how I'm going to be strong on the inside. The Bible tells me that this inner strength is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the longer I think it's about Eddie's strength, the weaker I am in the inner man, because I think it's about my resolve. And I think it's about my toughness and about my ability to push through. And all along, the Lord is saying, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. And I have difficulty admitting that I'm weak, which causes me then to not rely on the Holy Spirit, who is the one that gives strength in the inner man. So do you see the way it works? I know you guys, you're a willful people. A lot of you are a lot like me. If we were in a war, I'd want you on my side. A lot of resolve, a lot of toughness. But let's make this clear. That toughness, that persistence, that work ethic isn't what makes you have inner strength. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit. Isn't that what the Bible is telling us? I go back to the passage, the cross reference from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says that the inner is being renewed day by day. The Spirit is given to you when, when you're saved. But isn't it true that we need the renewal of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says we do, that we need to walk in the Holy Spirit instead of in the flesh. And that's where our strength comes from when it's the strength that verse 16 is talking about here in Ephesians chapter three. Pray for your inner strength. Do you need that kind of prayer? I do. You do. Put it on your prayer list for one another. Put it on your prayer list for yourself, for those that you love, for your family of God. 17 says this. We get another part to the prayer that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So number two, pray for God to dwell in your heart. God lives in you. As a believer, you have him in your heart. The Bible says, though, that we should let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. If you skip down to 19, the middle of 19, it says that you may be filled with all fullness of God. So when this prayer request, this second point is pray for God to dwell in your heart, it's not saying that God is is coming and going, that he's moving out of your heart, and then he's moving back in again. The word is saying that this prayer request ought to be that the Lord would be at home in your heart, that your heart would be a place of great delight and good pleasure for God, that your heart would not be a wrestling match, for the Lord. He does wrestle with us, but that the Lord would, would reside in your heart. Just like when you come home and it's restful. I hope you have that kind of home where there's a, a peace and there's a good pleasure and there's a, there's a delight about being home. It's like, oh, you, you can rest in a way that you wouldn't otherwise rest. That is what your heart is to be for who? For the Lord. That we wouldn't be striving against him, working against him. The Lord has free reign at his home, in his manner. does he not? It's his house. It's his delight. Everything revolves around the Lord. All the servants are there for the, the Lord of the manor. And things are put together for his good pleasure, for his delight. Is that your heart? That's what I'm praying for your heart to be. A place where the Lord is magnified, glorified, served, pleased, This dwelling is is not just the sort of I'm living here for now, but it's the deep abode to reside permanently and even comfortably. Have we forgotten that Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 was written to Christians? It was written to the church. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in, I'll sup with him, I'll fellowship, I'll dine with them. The Lord is saying, I want to be at home in you. You are are my tabernacle, but have you made your heart a place of my delight? Or is this struggle, this give and take always there? I give it to you, Lord, I, I take it back. Let the Lord reside in us richly a restful abode for the Lord. That's what he writes to his church. And he wrote that passage that I quoted from Revelation chapter three to the lukewarm church to Laodicea. What was their issue? And I say, Oh Lord, I don't want this. They, they weren't hot for God and they weren't really cold. They were just in the middle and made God sick. And he said, "I, I want in, I want that place of rest in your heart that you would really be my delight. What a prayer request that your heart would be the delight of God, that it would be the place where he finds refuge and, and home in a way where he truly is delighting himself. The Lord is a house cleaner, isn't that true? He's a house renovator. He doesn't leave his house messy and dirty, but do you ever clean up, get things tidied up, and then there's, it's easier for you, it's simpler for you to then just kick it? I've always been a little envious of people that rest in the middle of a mess. (laughs) I'm like, look at them. They're just, everything's a disaster, and they're just, they have no problem with it. And then I think, well, if I was like that, then maybe nothing would ever get cleaned up, right? Do you ever envy those kind of people? They're just like, everything's a mess. And then you see some people, and their idea of I've gotta have order before I rest is like off the charts. They never get to the place where they can rest. They're they're cleaning and moving and changing. I can't really be at rest. They can't rest in their own home. Your home's not supposed to be like that. Yes, we clean, we change, and the Lord is a purifier. He's a sanctifier. That's the kind of master that he is. But then there's also this good pleasure that the Lord takes in us as he dwells in our hearts. That's what we're to have. How is the Lord pleased? What makes our hearts homey for him. What does the verse say? Faith. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. I look at that verse and I'm thinking, if I don't have faith in the first place, and I pray that this morning you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's what it takes to be saved. Lord, I believe in you. So it's, it's the beginning of our salvation where we say, I surrender, take my sin, Lord, save my soul. But we also grow from faith to faith. So in order for our hearts to be a pleasing home for the Lord, we must have faith. It is through faith that this work is accomplished. When I was a kid, I was not at home in most other people's houses. I'd go there but it didn't feel right to me. And it was actually mostly because of smells. It didn't smell right to me. And you might say, how could such a stinky person be so particular about smell? I don't know, but I really was. As a young person, I was just like, I mean, I'm here for a little while, but this doesn't smell like my house. I clearly remember that as a kid. Like, this house, and it wasn't that everybody's house was dirty, but it didn't smell. You know, all the different things that... Make your house smell the way they do. You know, even the kind of laundry detergent you use or what you dust with. Like, there's all these smells. There's the furnishings, there's the rug, there's what's in there. And it smells like your house. And either you like the smell of your house or you're thinking, no, but there's a certain aroma. Think of all the things that are a part of a house being homey, a home being that place of delight. And I think about that and that we're that sweet aroma to the Lord. And if there's there's something that stinks, it's, you know it, it's not right. And then sometimes you're just like, oh, I'm just good to be home. It smells like home. It feels like home. The abode that I delight to be in. That's what it's saying. You know, all this effort now and this huge marketing emphasis on homes and, and, oh, it's got to feel like this, and it gives you this vibe, and it's your little sanctuary because of the colors and because of the textures, and it's just off the charts these days. And it's like, you got to have these kind of throw pillows, and I'm just like, man, I was just killing me. I mean, Joanna Gaines is just the bane of my existence. Like, <laughs> I'm feeling quite homey myself, like, oh, no, and then the little beautiful, you know, Picking acoustic guitar starts to play as soon as the door opens. Oh, oh, it's just this delight. And what makes the Lord delight in our hearts? That's really the question, isn't it? That's what our prayer is. Lord, it's not about what I think is beautiful. It's not about what I think is delightful. My heart is your home. What's God looking for in my heart? What's inviting to him? What serves him? What is his good pleasure. What is a sanctuary to him? We have sang, we sang a lot with the kids. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Lord, I'm, I'm your home, my heart. Let it be a homey heart for you. Middle of 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray for grounding in love. Pray that we would be rooted in love, anchored in the love of God that love would be the foundation of all that we are, the center of all that we are. Look, I see the agriculture and the architecture here because first he says rooted. That's talking about the strong plant or the big, strong tree. A tree's not gonna be powerful. It's not gonna be full of growth if it doesn't have strong roots. What are the roots supposed to be about? What are they supposed to be in? Love. And it's not just the agriculture, it's the architecture. He talks about a foundation, that you'd be grounded, like that there would be the footings that are in love. That is to be where we stand. Now, we can be anchored at a lot of different things. Have you ever spent seasons of your life where you're, you're entrenched in, in bitterness? Or, or you're, you're anchored in fear? Or you, you're, your foundation is really selfishness, your world that started to revolve around you. There's a lot of things that we can make the anchor or the foundation of our life, and they're a detriment to us. But love, the love of God being our foundation, that's everything. That's of the utmost importance. How can we be solid? How can we be that house built of living stones if our foundation is not love? Rooted and grounded in love, anchored in love. What does it mean to be grounded in God's love? It means that His love for you compels you to love Him back, listen, and to love others. That's the foundation of love. It doesn't come from us. The Lord is the initiator, we're the ones that are to respond to His love. It's God's love flowing, and boy, does it flow to you and to me, and then us saying, it's my reasonable service, Lord, to love you back, and, and I love you by loving people. That's the real sticker, right? The foundation of love in our lives. That love is demonstrated in, in the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You say, well, I'm really good when I'm by myself, I'm really kind when I'm not around other people. I'm super patient when it's just me. Well, those are the accessories of love. And the reason we have the foundation of love isn't because we're the source. Have you stopped responding to God's love? Have you stopped making your life your passion? Is it no longer a response to what he has done for you? Whenever we get away from responding to God's love, we're off course. We've lost our roots. We've gotten off the foundation. Roots start to weaken. Foundation starts to crack. We get away from, I have to live in response to God's love. I need to treat people with the kindness and patience that God tells me to because he loved me first my service to the Lord, my delight in the Lord, is because he loved me first, all the way to the cross. He took my sin. He took everything that I just didn't know what to do with, and he washed me clean. Now I am grounded and rooted in that love. That's the foundation of my life. How big is the love of Jesus? How wide? How long? How deep? How high? Well, It's infinite. It's of the best quality and it's of infinite it's everything about it. Quality and quantity, right? The love of God that you may know how big it is, how great it is, how amazing it is. Jesus' love, unfathomable in size, in scope, in pursuit. And so Paul here, as he speaks of our wealth in Christ, says, "I am praying for you that you would be grounded in love, the love of God for your life. Let it be flowing through you." Yet the request is that we would know it, and when it says comprehend here, that's not the best word. the The original word, katalambono, is to lay hold of, to grasp. So it's not talking about reading comprehension. It's not talking about knowledge. See, it says in the verse, it says, to know the love of God, which surpasses knowledge. It passes knowledge up. It can't just be in our heads or something that we can regurgitate. You know the difference. You can know about God's love, but that's not the same thing as experiencing God's love. And I'm asking you today, have you experienced it? I know you've heard about it, and I know it is amazing, but have you laid hold of it? Cata Have you taken it in your grasp? Have you absorbed it? And are you still absorbing the love of God? Because when God's love just bounces right off of us, that's when it's just a knowledge. It's not an experience of knowing where we have laid hold of the love of God for our lives, that's when it is our foundation. If you have heard, but not received. If you have known, but not believed. There's a difference. I want you to know the love of God for yourself, for your sin to be taken to the cross, for you to see that he took those nails for you. Yes, for the sins of the world, but for your sins. He hung there for Eddie. He hung there for me. And if I don't comprehend the depth of that, it can't be my foundation. Yes, knowledge can be good. We should know, we should study. But the knowledge itself is not the key, is it? It's to lay hold of the love of God over and over again in worship, in prayer, in service, in delight. You should be broken over the love of God because of the love of God. All of us should never stop being wowed by what he has given to us because it's too long, it's too high, it's too wide. We could never get to the end of his love for us. It surpasses knowledge. Being rooted in God's love It's the way to go. If we don't know that, if we're not saved and living in that manner, then this is what will happen. Ephesians 4, 14, if you want to skip ahead to the next chapter and see. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There are children of God who are tossed around by the winds. The wind of this world, the wind and the wave of every doctrine, they're not solid. And so they just get kicked around. They get buffeted, tossed here and tossed there. I don't want that to define your life and I don't want it to define mine. So our prayer is for the rooting and the grounding so that when all of that trickery comes and all of that deceit comes against us, we're standing strong super solid in the Lord. The wind is blowing against the house and your foundation is in God's love. You'll stand in him. The opposite can be happening. If the foundation is not love, well, the wind comes and then the service stops. The passion wanes. Obedience becomes a dread. Worship becomes a chore. And the love of God is no longer our anchor. We're being tossed here and there with all the wackiness of this world. So the anchor, the grounding of God's love that he would be, that his love would be the foundation of our lives. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen look at the praise in this prayer the apostle begins to overflow and he says now to him who is able to do it reminds me of what jude wrote at the end of his short epistle now unto him who is able to keep us from falling it's not to us but to you lord all of the glory and all of the honor In this prayer, praise flows forth. Praising is a part of prayer. Don't just make your your prayers about requests. Praise the Lord in your prayer and say, now to you, Lord, you are able to do. Your power is amazing. Far beyond what we could ever ask or think. We usually think, what if God granted my request? Well, that would be awesome. But the Bible says he can do more than you ask. And he can do more than you can even imagine. This has happened so many times in my life, in our lives, where God has done more than we asked him for. In fact, he did something that we didn't even think of. And we thought we were asking for the best. And God does better. God works in a way that's so far beyond the scope of what we ever thought. I want to have high expectations people in the Lord. I don't want to be the kind of person that's like, well, they'll probably never grow. They're going to die that way. I can't be like that. But it's still true that our expectations are way below the power of God, that he does things, that he works in ways that are beyond what we originally asked or what we originally even imagined could happen or would happen. That's the God that we serve now to him, now unto the Lord who is working in a way that is exceedingly and abundantly above. First, I see in this statement something about God's ability. He's not short on power. He's not short on might. He doesn't lack creativity. Maybe you didn't think of this, God. Do we pray that way sometimes? <laughs> or resources. He doesn't lack resources to get it done. Secondly, I see this statement is also about the limited nature of our minds, our imaginations, our expectations. We cannot think bigger than God's ability. People say, think big. I mean, think big in the Lord. Our minds grow as we have the truths of the Spirit by the Spirit revealed to us, but our intellects fall short of the power of God. That's one of the things that is so beautiful about faith, is that we realize Our minds cannot comprehend the God that we serve. If we could completely comprehend him, he wouldn't be worthy. He wouldn't be omniscient. He wouldn't be almighty, would he? It doesn't even make sense that the human mind would be able to understand everything. So God continues to blow our minds. First Corinthians 2, 9. I love this verse. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things. Yes. The deep things of God. That verse is often quoted in reference to heaven, but it's not just talking about heaven. Cause it says the spirit reveals to us that which God is doing. And it's beyond your wildest dreams. It's beyond your imagination, so point number four is pray beyond your expectations. Pray beyond your expectations for each other. Lord, whatever you want to do in their life, accomplish it, work in them. I think I can see some of their gifts, but I know I can't see them the way you can. Do exceedingly abundantly more than more, more than I could ever ask or think. Third, I see this statement is about expectations. I know it's a fourth point. I don't want to mix you up, but we ask for what is awesome and then still we're awestruck because the Lord in his glory fulfills our expectations. The Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings a song called God Surprised Me. I'm going to go see that choir someday. Hopefully it'll be before heaven. It's just an amazing group of singers. A couple hundred just powerful singing. It's wonderful. This song, God surprised me when I heard it. I thought, is that biblical? It is. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or more than we could think. Lord, you have surprised me so many times. You kind of think he shouldn't be able to surprise us because he's so amazing shouldn't we just say oh i expect amazingness from god all the time but it's because we have limited brains he continues praise the lord to surprise us in the way that he works in the way that he answers i'll reread the last verse to him be glory in the church by christ jesus to all generations forever and ever amen do you see that we are directly in this last verse it mentions the church but not just the generation of paul we're the church of this generation. When it comes to the Lord answering prayers, what happens sometimes? It's sad, but glory for the awesome answer gets, gets taken by people. And yes, they're talking about something that God has done, but really they desire to make you think that they're spiritual or incredibly grounded. And really the true test of an awesome answer is is that the Lord receives the glory forever and ever to all generations, including ours. And that's part of the way we pray. Lord, let it be to your glory. Let you be glorified in your answer. Praying ahead of time, not telling the Lord, bossing the Lord, and saying, I know you're going to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But Lord, in your awesome answer, let you be glorified. You be lifted up. Not any person. This week, so many of you sent me pieces of your life where God did more than you could ever ask or imagine. You gave me specific examples of this is what God did. And I remember, yeah, it was years ago, but the Lord so surprised me with the wonder of his grace and how he met my need in a way that I didn't even realize I needed This is the verse, this verse 20 is the one that you keyed in on the most and said, yes, he has done exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine. That is the God that I serve. And I stand here as a testimony to that over and over that he's done that. Those testimonies are powerful, but they've got to be about the Lord. They've got to be all glory to him. Part of that is the way that we say when we pray, I didn't even know what I was praying for. How many times have you been there? You ask the Lord, I want this. I want this. This is what's best. This is what's best. And he does something. And you think to yourself, how in the world did he do that? It's because he can do. He's able. He's not short on resources. He's not short on power. Do you want awesome answers? Do you want the Lord to be at home in your heart? Do you want to be grounded in him? Think big of God. Pray big. That is the power that he is able. So much of this has to do with how we pray. We pray for a lot of physical needs, which isn't against God's word, but I see in the word that there's a lot of spiritual needs that get prayed for. We say we have a lot of petitions, but we don't necessarily have a lot of praise. We need a really cool song to keep us on praise track, right? And then sometimes we're like, oh, that's a great song. Oh yeah, I'm praising God. Where's where's the praise in our prayers? Where's the, the thankfulness? Where's the waiting on God in our prayers? Because he is able and he will do, he will accomplish. When he answers, give glory to him for he is worthy. He is wonderful. This is the day that the Lord has made. Every day when you wake up, Let him remind you of that truth. And it's also the day of salvation. Salvation happens when faith is placed in Jesus. And yes, we have these prayers for rooting and grounding, but you can't be rooted until you're planted. You can't be grounded until you get put into the building. Are you in the building? Not this building. Are you in the building of God? Are you are you grafted into him by faith have you received him have you confessed your sins to him and then our prayer for you changes it should be lord save but then it becomes lord give him resolve from your spirit in the inner self then it becomes make their heart your home in in that everything that delights you lord Teach, teach them what that means. Get them anchored, grounded in your love and teach them to pray with great expectation for what you have done. We praise you, Lord, for you are mighty. You are wonderful. You are powerful. You are high above. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways above our ways. Your righteousness it's something that we can't attain, yet you came and you gifted it to us, Lord. You are the God that does miracles. You're the God that does the supernatural naturally, Lord. It's who you are. We seek you for each other. We seek you for ourselves. We seek you for this world that is lost and sinking. We call upon you, Lord, and may we always call upon you, even if our circumstance is extremely difficult. Lord, even if we are in persecution, if we're in turmoil, if we're in heartache, if if we're broken, may we call upon you even more. And may it not just be for ourselves, let it be for one another, Lord. May we do what it takes to say, I remember your people, Lord. I remember my family, the family of God that's around me, that's gone before me, Lord. We give you glory. We cry out to you. We pray that your name would be magnified, that no political scheme or spectrum would would taint your name, Lord. I I pray that those who have put up walls against you and think they know who you are, Lord, that those would be broken down and, and that they would see what real love is. It's demonstrated by you, Lord. I pray that anybody who has prejudged, wrongly judged you, Lord, would realize that It's not about us judging you, it's about you judging us and telling us that we're guilty and that you'll free us. I thank you for the support that we have, Lord. That's just such a small word compared to what your word says about the church, Lord, that we are to be to each other. Man, do we need the growth in that area. We need it a lot. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.